I'm Kendall Giles, and this is the Techno Slipstream Podcast, where we explore what you need to know about the intersection of science, technology, and society. This is Episode 10. In previous episodes, we've discussed various aspects of AI and automation systems, including how they can mediate our relationship to the world. But more practically speaking, in doing knowledge work in a large organizational setting, work that is complex, dynamic, and distributed, how can these technologies affect how that knowledge work is done? I work, for example, at Virginia Tech which is starting its sesquicentennial celebration this fall to mark 150 years as a university. We've got nine different colleges, 110 undergraduate degree programs, 170 master's and doctoral degrees. In my department alone, there are over 140 faculty members. Knowledge work is central to what we do. And we rely on many different technologies to help us in our teaching, research, and service missions. Other large organizations, too, like Apple or Amazon or government facilities, hospitals, all rely on complex technologies to do their jobs. So think for a moment about the process an organization might follow for choosing new software or hardware systems or updating existing systems. One way that decisions about which technology to acquire are made is by tabulating and ranking the candidate systems based on different features. But for an AI or automation system, technologies that have agency, the dynamics of knowledge work workflows can be changed with the introduction of the system, device, or application. So, Changing out one technology for another is not just plug-and-play. In fact, there is a growing understanding that you cannot just look at the features of the technology, where the technology is an independent thing on its own, which was the traditional approach. You need instead to look at the candidate technology within the context of the network of people, systems, and information that is created and operates in order to accomplish some work task. In the past, studies have shown that technologies can enable or constrain distributed knowledge work, though as with the selection of new software or hardware systems, most studies look at technology as a separate resource. But based on what we've been discussing so far in this podcast series, the work includes the technology. Pick a philosophy of technology of your choice. Call on Latour or ID, for example. The work is constructed by the network of people, technologies, and tasks involved. Technology is constitutive of the work. In other words, how the work is materialized in actual practice matters. It's not so much just a function of the technologies themselves. So to explore this further, I've found two research papers that investigate exactly this topic. The first paper is Robots in Organizations the role of workflow, social, and environmental factors in human-robot interaction, written by Bilge Mutlu and Jody Forlizzi. And the second paper is, What difference does a robot make 
The Material Enactment of Distributed Coordination, written by Matt Bean and Wanda Orlikowski. Unlike some of the previous philosophy of technology ideas we've discussed so far in this podcast series, these papers are based on empirical research studies. So I think it will be interesting to see where and how the researchers gathered their data and what they found. Okay, let's dive in. First up is the paper, Robots in Organizations, the Role of Workflow, Social, and Environmental Factors in Human-Robot Interaction, by Bilge Mutlu and Jody Forlizzi. Bilge Mutlu is an Associate Professor of Computer Science, Psychology, and Industrial Engineering at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, and is the Director of the HCI Laboratory. He received his PhD degree from Carnegie Mellon University's Human-Computer Interaction Institute in 2009. Jody Forlizzi is the Geschke Director and a Professor of Human-Computer Interaction in the School of Computer Science at Carnegie Mellon University. She is also the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Lead in the School of Computer Science. She is responsible for establishing design research as a legitimate form of research in HCI that is different from, but equally as important as, scientific and human science research. So the paper was published back in 2008, which seems like a very long time ago, but even back then, robots were being incorporated into work environments, though not a lot was known about how well they would integrate with human workflows. For example, consider delivery robots. Typically, these are large, cabinet-sized, autonomous wheel robots with batteries that navigate a route in a workplace, pausing at destinations to let the humans know to unload a package or an item meant for that destination. For example, postal mail, medicines, or supplies. These robots also have sensors to detect obstacles and for wayfinding, and have visual and audible indicators in case assistance is needed. This paper highlights the results of a 15-month ethnographic study of an autonomous delivery robot used in a hospital. The use of the robot in three main hospital units was studied. One unit was medical, surgical, and oncology. Another unit was postpartum. And another unit was support units, such as the pharmacy, kitchen, and laundry room. The data collected by the first author included fly-on-the-wall observations, and interviews. This was an empirically grounded study focused on identifying patterns in relationships between the social actors, the workers in the hospital, and the technologies, especially the delivery robots, as well as assessing the resulting constructed reality. A key to understanding their findings is knowing more about the hospital units involved in the study. The Medical-surgical-oncology units are considered medical units in that they are high-stress, dynamic environments focused on saving people's lives. The postpartum units are where healthy mothers and their babies rest and recover after birth until they are discharged. The postpartum units, therefore, are lower stress compared to the medical units. And as with the postpartum units, those working in the kitchen, pharmacy, and laundry rooms were not directly involved in life-or-death medical situations. From a hospital administrator's standpoint, they want to know, 
questions like, does the robot improve the workflow? Or do the workers in the unit accept the use of the robot? From the results of the paper, the authors found out that the answers to those questions depended heavily on the unit's physical environment, as well as social and emotional factors. For example, consider whether or not the robots improved the workflow. Certainly, the robots helped the service units, though that saved work was added to the work of those in the medical and postpartum units. The service units no longer had to go room to room to collect the soiled linens, for example. They just had to unload the linens once it was dropped off by the robot. For the medical and postpartum units, on the other hand, they had to interrupt what they were doing in order to load up the robot with the soiled linens. The robot would arrive at a patient's room and beep until someone came over and put the linens onto the robot and sent it on its way. The medical units in particular tended to react negatively to this added work. Those in the postpartum units tended to recognize the benefit of having the services of the robot. Interestingly, there was also a negative assessment by the medical units in terms of overall quality of care when the robot was being used. For example, soiled linens tended to collect on the floor while waiting for the robot to make its rounds. Visitors and health inspectors tended to think this made the medical units more dirty, that the patients were therefore receiving lower quality of care. Thus, people in the medical units had an overall negative assessment of the robot. And because of the stress caused by the life-or-death consequences of their jobs, those in the medical units seemed to have stronger social and emotional bonds with their patients, in the sense that they were closer to their patients, whereas those in the service and postpartum units were more distant from their patients. Those in the medical units, therefore, seemed to be much more impatient with any sort of interruptions when giving patient care. So when the robot came by and started beeping, demanding attention for some request or need, those interruptions caused stress in the workers in the medical units more than in the other two units. Some in the medical units even started abusing the robot, physically as well as verbally. On the other hand, those in the postpartum unit, for example, described the robot as being a delight or their buddy. Another big factor influencing the reactions to the robot was the physical environment. The medical units tended to have heavy traffic in the hallways and lots of activity, for example, around the nurses' stations. So having the robot trundle through caused a lot of issues in the medical units, whereas the environments in the postpartum and service units were calmer and clearer. The presence of the robot tended not to cause problems there. The differences in reaction to the robot by the different hospital units identified in the study have design implications for robots and similar technologies. For example, rather than having just one universal social interface, the robot could be designed to have interfaces appropriate for the environment the robot is being used in. In a high-stress, low-interruptibility environment like the medical units, Instead of having the robot demand immediate attention, like the design in the study, the robot could instead have less needy, less demanding ways of requesting attention. Another suggestion was that for low-stress, high-interruptibility environments, like the postpartum units, the robot could even have customizable interface options, like the ability 
to change the robot's voice when issuing requests. Robots could also be designed to provide more context about why the interruption is being made. In a medical unit, for example, an interruption to load up soiled linens versus an interruption to deliver needed cancer treatment drugs for a specific patient do not have equal value. Knowing the context, therefore, would be useful for the human to evaluate the importance of an interruption, which might help the human, therefore, be more accepting of the robot services. What was interesting about the paper was that these results were realized through the grounded ethnographic research the authors conducted. As another example of that type of research, our second paper also conducts a grounded ethnography regarding robots in a hospital. The second paper is What Difference Does a Robot Make? The Material Enactment of Distributed Coordination by Matt Bean and Wanda Orlikowski. Matt Bean is currently an assistant professor in the Technology Management Program at the University of California, Santa Barbara, and a digital fellow with Stanford's Digital Economy Lab. His PhD is from the Sloan School of Management at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology in the Information Technologies Department. He's primarily interested in doing field research on work involving robots to help us understand the implications of intelligent machines for the broader world of work. Wanda Orlikowski is the Alfred P. Sloan Professor of Management and a Professor of Information Technologies and Organization Studies at the MIT Sloan School of Management, and she's received a number of distinguished honors and awards over the years. She holds a BCom and an MCom in Business Information Systems from the University of Witzwathersrand and an MPhil and a PhD in Information Systems from New York University. Her work investigates technologies in the workplace, with particular emphasis on structures, cultures, work practices, and organizational change. The research question of the second paper was to assess technology's impact on distributed work processes. To try to answer this question, data was collected over the course of a 14-month comparative field study in a post-surgical intensive care unit at a teaching hospital. I'm assuming it was the first author, Matt Bean, who gathered the data when he was a PhD student at MIT working under Wanda Orlikowski. So at this teaching hospital, Bean studied the night rounds of a team of distributed medical workers. Patients in the surgical intensive care unit were recovering from major surgery and their conditions were often unstable. Thus, the patients needed a lot of attention and monitoring by the nurses, medical residents, and attending physicians who were on duty. The night rounds started at 5 p.m. each afternoon, when the attending physician and four residents would leave for the day, leaving one resident on call along with the on-duty nurses. The job of the resident was to assess the condition of each patient before a 9 p.m. call from the at-home attending physician, and then a discussion would be had about each patient in order to determine if the patient was stable or not stable and the corresponding best appropriate medical response in the form of a treatment plan to be followed over the course of the rest of the night. Traditionally, this remote discussion between the attending physician and the resident was done over a hardwired telephone, which had obvious workflow limitations. But in 2008, the hospital leased six telepresence robots to assist in the hospital work. With the telepresence robot, 
Instead of the resident being tethered to a hardwired telephone away from the patients when discussing their conditions with the attending physician, the attending physician was able to drive the robot into each of the patient's rooms and directly observe the patient, the monitors, and communicate with the resident and the nurse. So what is particularly interesting about the study is that they were able to collect data comparing the night rounds conducted where they had discussions with the attending physician via the hardwired telephone and night rounds where they held discussions with the attending physician via the telepresence robot. Again, the goal was to assess the impact of the technologies on the distributed work processes. While the paper does a really good job of walking through the types of data collected, which included direct observation, field notes, as well as interviews with nurses, residents, and attending physicians, discussions with colleagues, and exploratory writings, the author's results were worth discussing and summarizing here. The data indicated the coordination effectiveness of the distributed work during the night rounds was both helped as well as hindered by the telepresence robot. For example, when the night rounds were done using the resident discussing the patient status on the hardwired phone with the attending physician, because of being tethered to the phone away from the actual patient, medical devices, medical records, and nurses, the attending physician tended to rely more on the judgment of the resident as to the status of the patient. But when the attending physician was able to participate using the telepresence robot, the attending physician was able to assess more for themselves the status of the patient by reading the charts, interacting with the nurse, and interacting with the resident. When using the hardwired telephone, the resident gained a better understanding of the resulting treatment plans for the patients. Since this time alone together, gave the attending physician the chance to teach the resident more about why certain choices were being made. This was helpful because during the night, after the discussion with the attending physician, a patient's condition might change. And so then the resident could be more involved in helping the nurse decide the best course of action. Also, when using the telephone, the attending physician tended to just accept the resident's assessment that a patient was stable. Without any other data, the attending physician had no real recourse other than to trust the resident's judgment. But when using the telepresence robot, the attending physician was able to make a treatment plan by interacting directly with the nurse and without needing the resident's participation as much, which resulted in the resident having a reduced understanding of why certain choices were made in creating the treatment plan. This sometimes caused the residents to adhere too strongly to the exact treatment plan that was made earlier when a better course of action might be to make certain adjustments based on changing patient conditions as the night progressed. Unlike the one-on-one -on -one teaching opportunity for the resident when using the telephone with the attending physician, when the attending physician used the telepresence robot in the patient's room along with the resident and nurse, the resident tended not to ask questions and the attending physician tended not to teach. Also, with the robot, each patient was visited and discussed, whereas when using the phone, the stable patient discussions were very minimal. The larger point is that had the hospital assessed the two different technologies for distributed knowledge work, phone and telepresence robot, just based on the features of the two different technologies, 
it is very doubtful that they would have been able to determine how the actual hospital workflows would change, including how the roles of the resident and the attending physician changed during night rounds when using the telephone versus when using the telepresence robot. This study demonstrates that how knowledge work is coordinated is dependent on how the various work practices are conducted over time, which is dependent on how the technologies are used in the network of people, technologies, and tasks that need to be done. Thus, in the context of work, the study suggests that complex technologies, such as AI and automation systems, should not be viewed as independent tools. Their role and value can only be assessed by viewing the work materially enacted in practice. So I think this has big implications for how I see AI and automation hyped these days in the marketplace. More work is actually needed on understanding how the technologies are used in context and less emphasis on simple feature checklists and performance metrics. In other words, my studies and research in the discipline of science, technology, and society seem extremely valuable right now. So, onwards we go. And with that, we wrap up episode 10 of the Techno Slipstream podcast. Thank you for listening, and please be sure to subscribe. And if you'd like to help make sure this podcast stays on the air, consider heading over to patreon.com slash kendallgiles to our Patreon page to sign up. In addition to supporting the show, on Patreon you can sign up to get the show's transcripts, including links to the articles and books discussed in each episode, in addition to other writings as well. In any case, again, thanks for listening, and until next time, I'll see you in the Techno Slipstream.